Thank you so much. You're so kind. It's so nice to be here. Well, a real warm welcome to you. If you are a visitor here, thanks so much for coming to the King's Arms, being part of our family this morning. We absolutely love having guests, and uh, thanks for being brave and coming to church. It might not be something you're used to doing, but thanks for joining us. We really love having you here. And uh, we are right in the middle of a series uh, all about discipleship, which uh, is just a Bible word that means learner. And Jesus chose uh, numbers of disciples, which simply meant they were guys that were learning how to be like Jesus and do the stuff that Jesus was doing. So we're in a series looking at discipleship. And uh, just, just wave at me if you've read this book yet. Awesome, about nine of you. Brilliant. How many of you have bought this book but haven't yet read it? Brilliant. How many of you have not yet got one of these books? How many of you are not thinking of getting one of these books at all? I'm joking. <laughs> Guys, I want to encourage you, if you can, grab hold of one of these, because this is kind of part of our journey as a church family into discipleship and learning what it looks like together. And uh, this is a piece of genius right here. Show these guys over here. You have read it. Oh, okay. There you go. Let me just show you all properly. There we are. Um, and uh, guys, you can grab these at the end. They're two quid, okay? You spend two quid. You spend more than that on a Chinese takeaway or renting a movie or on your phone bill. Get one of these because it'll change your life. I was never a salesman, but get one of these, okay? They are really, really good. And uh, it'll get you up to speed on where we're going as a church. Um, and just before we kind of dive into some stuff on discipleship uh, this morning, I just wanted to take a moment just personally to say thank you to many of you who've been praying for, for me and my family. Uh, numbers of you will be aware that my, my wife's uh, dad suddenly and quite tragically died in the new year. And uh, it was just, uh, it's been a real shock and we're still kind of just living in the shock waves of that event uh, as a family and obviously grieving for that loss. But I just want to say thank you so much for so many of you who've prayed for us and loved us and sent us notes and cooked meals for us and just been family for us. And just, yeah, the church does really well in a crisis, really does. And I just want to say thank you so much. Thanks for those of you that have carried us and we felt incredibly weak and in need of friendship and love and support. And I love the church. I love the church. The church is an incredible, incredible thing. And we really are family. And it's in moments like that where you really feel family. And I think as well, just, you know, the reality is, it's often in those moments of kind of suffering or loss or trial or deep challenge and pressure where you see the supernatural kingdom of God show up. And oftentimes we, we, we talk rightly about the, the breaking in of the kingdom in terms of healings and signs and wonders and resurrection power, which is brilliant. We're going after that stuff. But here's the reality. God's power is as much found in those moments of weakness and trial and desperation as they are in the moments of triumph and victory. And when Paul talks about knowing Christ in Philippians 3, he's, when he's writing the words in Philippians 3, he's in a stinking jail, a hole in the ground. His life is nearly an end. And his, 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 the last things that are pouring out of his heart are, oh, that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And for Paul, he was contending for both. He was contending for resurrection power that saw breakthrough in this life. But at the same time, he knew the reality that in times of suffering, you get to know fellowship from God that you don't get at any other time in your life. 
There is a special suffering, a, a, a special fellowship, a special nearness of God that you only experience when you're going through the mill. And actually, that's just the supernatural. Both are part of this kingdom that we're in. You think about Psalm 23, and actually it's in the valley that you experience God's comfort. Where is it that God lays a table for you? In the presence of your enemies. It's almost like in those moments where you feel at your weakest, God just likes to show off and say, do you know what? I'm enough for you. I'm going to carry you through. Well, as I said, we are continuing our series on discipleship and we're going through some of our key kind of foundations of frameworks for how discipleship happens, how it works. And here on the screen, these are our kind of eight key kind of building blocks of how discipleship happens, how we become learners from Jesus. And this morning and probably into next week, we're going to look at those two in red, intentional leadership and people and places. These are two kind of key building blocks for how discipleship actually happens. And personally, one of the most influential messages or talks I ever heard on discipleship was by an evangelist friend of mine called Mike Springer. And uh, I remember years ago listening to Mike talk about discipleship, and he was a prolific discipler. And in this uh, uh, message, he was just talking about his, the way that he discipled people. And in fact, one of my close friends was discipled by Mike, and he remembers a time where Mike took him to McDonald's. And they would meet in McDonald's and they would open their Bibles together and they would just pray in McDonald's and kind of share life together. And my friend remembers how one day they were sitting in McDonald's with their Bibles open and suddenly Mike said, wait a second, I need to preach. And he stood on his seat in the middle of McDonald's and just began to preach the gospel. And it was absolutely packed. And uh, so my friend's dying a death kind of watching his mentor. And then so Mike sits down and then he turns to my friend and he says, great. Now it's your turn. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I, I'm listening to this message by Mike. And Mike, just in, in this talk on discipleship, he said, said, I wonder if you know who your spiritual sons and daughters are. He said, I know who mine are. There are 108 of them. But who's counting? Actually, I am. That's what he said. I am. And it massively struck me that day as I was listening to Mike talk because Mike had been living his life deliberately to develop other people. He wasn't just living life by accident. He was living life on purpose to develop those around him. And the truth is you can always tell the character of a man or a woman by the legacy that they leave behind them. You want to see what's in someone, then look around them. <laughs> look at what they're building in their region, in their vicinity of relationships and friendships. And Mike had incredible fruit to show for it. And the reality is that discipleship happens through intentional people living a lifestyle to pour themselves into others. Discipleship happens on purpose. Because the reality is this. God wants to fill not just the church with his glory. He wants to fill the whole cosmos with his glory. Did you know that? God has a plan that he's working out, and it's this. It's to fill everything in every way with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's God's big plan, his global plan. And you can get excited about this at any point that you want to. But that's what God is doing. And the way that God is going to do that is through people like you and me. 
the way that God is going to fill the earth with his glory, whether that's filling the arts or the media or education or politics or family life or, or kingdom living, the way that God is going to do that is through one life at a time, through people who invest in other people. This is Jesus' model for changing the planet, which is why you and I should be highly invested and excited about the subject of discipleship. Because discipleship is God's way of changing the planet. <laughs> That's how God's going to do it. He's going to fill the earth with his glory. And of course, God could do that just like that. God could fill the earth with his glory right now by himself. But the way that he's chosen to do it is through people. It's through you and through me. And so let's look at some of these, these truths. Let's first start by looking at people and places. Leroy Elms, who's a great writer on discipleship, said this. Why are fruitful, dedicated, mature disciples so rare? The biggest reason is that all too often we've relied on programs or material or some other thing to do the job. But the work of ministry is to be carried on by people. Ultimately, people cannot be helped by something. They must be helped by someone. Disciples cannot be mass-produced. We cannot drop people into a program and see disciples emerge at the end of a production line. It takes time to make disciples. So here's the, here's the, 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 the truth of it. You cannot become a disciple just by attending a Sunday morning meeting. You could come to this meeting for the next 40 years and actually not end up a disciple. Because you need another person to help you. You need someone who can look you in the white of your eyes and tell you the truth and help you and help develop you because people develop other people. And it's easy for those of us that perhaps are familiar with coming to, to church on Sunday. I've been coming to church on Sunday since before I was born. Okay? I'm very familiar with coming to church on a Sunday. And it's actually very easy to become a meeting attender rather than someone who's investing in relationships where we develop one another. And if we're going to have a discipleship culture, it takes us to understand people develop other people. Remember when I first came to the church sitting in Paul Johnson's office, and Paul, you probably don't even remember this, this discussion, but we were chatting about some other things. And then suddenly Paul said, Phil, do you think maybe you've got a bit of a poverty mentality? <laughs> and I, I said, I'm honestly not sure. <laughs> he said, well, I think maybe you have. Why don't we pray about that together? <laughs> it's dangerous going into Paul Johnson's office, I tell you. <laughs> Carries a health warning. And uh, so we just began to pray. And, and, you know, poverty mentality is simply the belief that God wants to bless other people with good things, but not necessarily you. And so I just began to repent if that in any way had kind of shaped my thinking and I kind of walked out of his office that day. And then an interesting thing happened. A week later, my family and I, just a little thing really, but we'd been, been praying about getting an iPad. It was like a really small thing. But to be honest, I've been wrestling with, oh, is it right to have one of these? I'm not sure. I don't really need one. I can get by without one. God gives those things to other people. We don't need one. And anyway, a week later after praying with Paul, someone walked into my office uh, with their bag and they said, there's something that I'd like to give you. I thought they were going to give me a chocolate bar. But, uh, but they pulled out this iPad from their bag and they said, God just spoke to me to bless you and your family and just to say, you're so worth it. It was amazing. It was an amazing, amazing moment. But listen, those moments happen because people decide to invest in other people. 
They take time. They take trouble to speak the truth to one another. And if you read reading the Bible in one year, you'll have seen this quote from John Maxwell this week, that leadership really equals influence. Leadership equals influence. And sociologists say a conservative estimate is that even the most introverted personality, even the most quiet and uh, 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 quietly spoken among us will influence at least 10,000 people in our lifetime. So this morning you may think, well, I'm, I'm not a very influential person. I'm not a leader. Uh, I don't like speaking in front of people. Well, listen, the truth is across your lifetime, you are going to influence at least 10,000 people. Some of you, many, many more. <laughs> Here's the question. What are you going to do with your influence? Because you're going to influence people, either by accident or on purpose. What are you going to do with your influence? Influence is a little bit like pounds in your bank account. You only have a certain amount of it. You get to decide what to do with it. How are you going to spend your influence? Where are you going to apply it? And Jesus' life and ministry tells us this, that Jesus chose to use his influence to pour it into his team of disciples. That's how he did it. He chose to spend his time pouring into Peter and Andrew and Matthew. That's the way he chose to change the world. That's what he did with his influence. Because people need other people. And the way that influence works in our lives is in both the the formal and informal spaces or places of our lives. We actually get influenced and we grow and we learn both through the the accidental moments of life, but also the deliberate moments of life, the formal and the informal. And so what I want to do now is very practically go through some of the formal and informal ways that we can learn and grow and disciple one another. And as I go through them, I want you to listen to these through the lens of a contributor, not a consumer. Because it's very easy to listen to talks on discipleship and think, well, no one's ever spent that kind of time with me. And kind of take on a bit of a victim mentality. Let me suggest, you'd be much more better served by listening to this list thinking, I'm not a spectator, I'm a participant. What can I do to contribute? Okay, so look through that lens as I go through these lists. So let's look at some of the formal ways in which we learn. Firstly, obviously we learn through... Teaching and training settings. This is one of the kind of formal ways that we learn and become disciples. And ultimately, that's why we come to church on Sundays, is to become disciples, is to learn, is to be more like Jesus. I don't know if that was your aim in coming here this morning. About three of us. That's, 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 the, that's the aim, actually, isn't it? That actually the reason that you come every week is not just for the coffee and the, kind of the, the warm kind of chat with your friend, but actually you come because you want to become more like Jesus. And so you think, well, I, I could be watching Match of the Day, you know, on Sunday morning at home. You know, I, I could be having an extra lie-in. I could be, you know, walking the dog in the park. But instead, I'm going to go to church. Why? Because I want to become more like Jesus. That's why we're here. And so actually these formal settings of training and teaching are for the purpose of becoming like him. And the truth is, you can be so used to coming to church and hearing messages that it can go in one ear and out of the other as soon as you leave the door. If you don't choose to mix what you hear with faith. 
the sobering reality is that some of us will be called to account for the things that you've heard time and time and time again, yet you've never done anything about. The Bible says you are like a foolish man who built his house on sand. That's what the parable is about. It's about people who hear God's word but then do nothing with it. And there is a sobering reality about Sunday mornings that Sunday mornings actually come with a sense of responsibility and with a sense of accountability. You can attend a Sunday morning for years and hear, for for example, about forgiveness, about forgiving others. But make a choice in your heart over years actually never to forgive those who've hurt you. The Bible says effectively your faith is dead. That's what James says, your faith is dead. If you hear the word, but it never actually makes it way to bring a change in your heart. You can sit in church for years and hear about sexual purity. And yet never deal with your pornography habit or never stop sleeping with your partner before you're married. The Bible says your faith is effectively dead. Because actually what we're designed to do is not just to hear the word, but actually to embrace it, to mix it with faith, and to allow it to change us so we look more like Jesus. Jesus said this, that wisdom is proved right by her actions. In other words, the fruit of your life will show whether you are a hearer and a doer of the word of God. And this is one of the settings in which we formally learn and become like Jesus. It's got quite quiet in here. Another formal setting that we can learn and become like Jesus are smaller kind of coaching settings. It was great hearing Christine's story about her missional community, how they have this kind of blend of different kind of meetings and discipleship groups and guys, girls and, and, and girls groups. And over the years, I've been greatly impacted by meeting in those kind of smaller settings with other Christians and particularly more mature people who've helped kind of take me on. And particularly as a young teenager, I was massively helped by being in these kind of smaller discipleship group settings. And my great heroes in the Christian faith are not people like Billy Graham, but people like Ian, Bob and Jonathan. Okay? And there's plenty of Ian, Bobs and Jonathans here in this room today. They're the people that actually never stand on a platform in public, but in private, they pour themselves out for others. Yeah. I remember as a 13-year-old, uh, Ian, uh, he was an estate agent who drove a white Ford Escort. And uh, we used to meet in his house in Brighton. There were kind of three of us. And one of the things I remember Ian teaching me was how to read the Bible and memorize scripture. And every week we would pile around his house, we would open up the Bible, he would give us a challenge to memorise scripture by the next time we got together. And I still remember him teaching me Psalm 119, verse 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It was Ian that taught me that because he poured his life into mine. Another friend of mine called Bob, he, he had a group of about eight or nine of us. A few years later, he used to gather us together, and we were kind of wild and crazy. I'm sure we kind of made his life a bit of a nightmare, but he, again, faithfully met with us every single week. He was a landscape gardener. That was his job. But his other job was discipling young men like me. And I remember Bob was the one who taught me how to prophesy. And so Bob would quite often come up to me in meetings like this, and he would say, Phil, What's God saying to you this morning? And often I'd be like, I don't know. 
He's like, well, ask God. I'll come back in a few minutes and ask you again. And so he would. He'd come back a few minutes later and he would ask me again. He'd say, so what did God say? And I would share. I would say, well, God said this. He's like, brilliant, Phil. Well done. Who in the room do you think that word is for? I'd be like, I don't know. He's like, well, ask God. I'll come back in a few minutes. And he would. So he'd come back a few minutes later. He'd ask me again. And I'd say, well, I think it's for him over there. He's like, brilliant. Let's go together and pray for him. And he literally grabbed me by the hand and he'd take me over and get me to share this word. But then here was the really powerful bit. In, in the middle of the week, usually about Wednesday, I could set my watch by it. A card would fall through the letterbox for me. It would be from Bob. And he would usually write something like this. Dear Phil, I'm so proud of the way that you took a risk last weekend. I want you to know that I am rooting for you. I'm praying for you. I believe in the gift that you carry. I am so proud of you. I love you so much. Your friend, Bob. I mean, just amazing. Just amazing. You know, and the reality is I would, I would not be who I am today without that humble man pouring himself into my life. Another guy called Jonathan spent time with me. He had a very high-powered job in London. He commuted every day from Brighton to London. He had a very young family. He would kind of jump off the train at Brighton about half past seven in the evening to find a bunch of lads at his house waiting to worship God and pray. And again, that guy just poured his life out for me. He would take me shopping with him on Saturday mornings. He would take me out to eat at restaurants. I had my first tiramisu in an Italian restaurant with him. And, you know, again, he just poured out his life. And often at these kind of smaller coaching settings are settings where we grow exponentially. I would literally be nowhere without those men. Now, here's the, here's the thing. You could do that for somebody. You could do that for somebody. You can make that kind of lasting difference. That's literally, for my life, it's lasted decades and decades. You can make that kind of impact in someone's life just by giving your time and pouring out what you have. Another formal setting that we can meet in is triplets. Now, across the church, there are a number of people that meet in kind of prayer triplets with close friends just to meet together to pray. That's a brilliant way to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Again, as a student particularly, I would often meet in uh, small triplets. We called them accountability groups. And basically, we would get together to keep each other accountable. Just wave at me if you used to be in an accountability group at any time. Yeah, a few of us. Okay, and we would get together and ask each other tough questions. All right, and I'm just going to show you the list of questions that we would go through each time that we got together. So, have you been spending regular personal time with God? When are you praying or reading the Bible? Are you studying the Bible at the moment? Has God been speaking to you recently? Have you used your time wisely? Are you handling your finances wisely? Have you avoided sexually compromising situations or thoughts? Have you recently shared your faith with anyone else? Is there anyone that you need to forgive? Are there any areas of life you're concerned about at the moment? And have you just lied to me? <laughs> that last question is important. It, it actually is, because it's, it's possible to be in an accountability group but still lie. It is. <laughs> so that, that question's important. And, you know, who is asking those questions in your life? At least someone needs to be. Okay? Someone needs to be asking you about, you know, are you spending your time wisely? Are you living life sustainably? Are you giving your money? 
You know, are you, are you living a generous lifestyle? Or are, are you dealing with your thought life? How healthy is that? You need somebody in your life to be asking you that. And this is a great way to grow. It's just to pull others in, in those kind of settings. Another formal setting would be personal mentoring. So sometimes God sends us another individual who for a season will kind of personally get alongside you and help you grow. My, my experience has been there are, that, that happens kind of sporadically. There are moments in your life where God sends you someone that you need in a season to help you grow. Most of my life I've not had that, but at times God brings those pers- people into your life. Okay? I don't necessarily think the expectation should be that we all have a personal mentor. It would be amazing, but that's probably not realistic. But God does bring particular people into your life in particular seasons to help you. Again, one of those guys in my life was a guy called Lex, who uh, is a brilliant evangelist, good friend of mine. And when I was 18, I did a year project in the States that he was leading. And he was just one of those guys who was the right guy at the right time to grow me. Uh, I remember uh, one day we were going to uh, speak in a maximum security prison in America. We were living in the Midwest of America in Missouri, and uh, our team was kind of driving, Lex was kind of driving the car, and I was absolutely petrified going into this maximum security. I was literally almost wetting myself. Even the thought of going in, I was just petrified. And so Lex, it's, it's about five minutes till we get to the gates, and he says, right, we better decide what we're doing once we get there. He said, right, let's just, let's just give some jobs. So he said to my friend Dan, he said, Dan, maybe when we get there, you could lead some songs on your guitar and, and just lead some music. And Dan's like, yep, I can do that. Then he went to my friend Steve. He said, Steve, perhaps you could just share your personal testimony, your story of how you came, became a Christian. Steve's like, yep, I can do that. And then he came to me. He said, Phil, let's see. You could get words of knowledge for inmates and then begin to pick them out and prophesy over them. Um, maybe six or seven would do. That would be great. Is that okay? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I was literally dying a death in the back seat. I had five minutes to get something from God. But you know, the reality is I needed Lex in that moment to mentor me through. Remember another moment where I was learning how to teach in that season and I, 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 was, I was speaking at a youth event, my first ever youth event. And I was really, really struggling. Preparation was going terribly. And I was just, I was panicking because it was two hours till the event started and I had nothing. And so I picked up the phone to Lex and I said, Lex, it's going really badly. Help. I think you're going to need to step in. I haven't got anything. I've really been trying, but it's not coming together. You know, I'm going to, I need you. And he, this is what he said. He said, Phil. Has God called you to preach? And I said, yes, he has. He said, this is what he said. Well, get on with it then. <laughs> and he put the phone down. <laughs> it's like, great, thanks a lot. Sometimes we need personal mentors like that. You do. You need someone who says, come on, mate, you're called to do this. Get on with it. Get on with it. That's exactly what I need. And I remember as I left the States... Uh, Lex brought me this 10-volume series of Spurgeon sermons as a gift before I left. And this is what he wrote. He said to my dear friend, Phil Wilfew, may God enlarge your heart and your gifting and anoint you mightily as you read these excellent sermons. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. With much love, Lex. Sometimes God puts those special people in your life to grow you. 
Again, here's the reality. You could be one of those people to somebody else in this church. Okay? Don't think as a spectator. Don't think somebody else will do it. Don't think they've got it all sorted already. There's no need for me to play my part. That's not true. You can make that kind of a difference in someone's life. So those are some of the formal ways that we learn. And then the informal, very, very quickly. I love the way in which we learn how to be like Jesus, just in the kind of informality of everyday life. You know, I think the reality for Jesus' disciples is that they learned just as much having breakfast with Jesus as they did by going on a ministry trip with Jesus. Actually, both were important. You know, the formal and the accidental were part of their learning experience. And actually creating lives where we are living life openly with other people is vital. That's why things like hospitality are so vital. You know, who are you having into your home? Because actually when you get people into your home, they're learning just as much as they are when they're turning up to church on a Sunday morning. It's those informal moments where we just learn in everyday life. And actually, when we adopt an attitude of honor towards other people, every moment is an opportunity to learn something. Because honor says every person has something from God that I need. Every person that I rub shoulders with in my missional community or my small group or in my serving team, every one of these people has something from God that actually I need. And if I learn how to honor them, actually I can learn in the informal moments of life. You know, so just this week I was thinking, you know, I, I've learned how to worship through the pain by watching my wife. As she's walking through grief but choosing to worship. I'm learning. I'm learning from her. You know, I learned hearing a story from Rosanna Heesman this week. She talked about going into Sainsbury's car park and having this encounter with a gang of young people. And walking up and stepping through a fear and bringing the kingdom right there and seeing healing happen and the kingdom show up. I was just so provoked. I learned from Rosanna this week. I learned from another friend who I was Skyping with in Japan. He planted the church 10 years ago, moved his family from England, counted a massive cost for being there. I learned so much just by talking to him. And actually it's these informal moments of life where we grow Here's the question for you. What do people learn from you accidentally? What what do they learn from you accidentally? And I'll just finish with two stories. Remember, when I was living in the States as an 18-year-old, I had the pleasure of living with uh, Terry and Wendy Virgo, who many of you will be familiar with. Terry started the the family of churches that we're a part of, New Frontiers. And I I lived with Terry for a year, and every every morning, around about 6.30, the whole house would get woken up by Terry singing and praying loudly in tongues. And that was my alarm clock. And uh, that was his normal routine. But I remember one day... Uh, that happened as normal, and I ate my breakfast, and I, I left the house at nine, and I could still hear he was still going. He was still going strong, just singing in the spirit, praying. And so I went to the office, I came back for my lunch at about 12.30, and he was still going. And I remember just as a young 18-year-old sitting in the corridor outside his room and learning something by accident that day. And little did he know what was happening, but I tell you, I learned a whole lot about how to pray about how to intercede, about how to lay hold of God. And another, another very influential leader in this country tells this story about accidental influence. 
And uh, he was at a conference speaking, and during the course of the conference, he had a young guy from that church shadowing him and kind of just learning from him. The conference finished, and, and this guy had been teaching about integrity and purity. He went from the conference, got dropped off at the airport, and he was just on his own. He had some time to kill. And so he said he was just kind of browsing the magazines. He was looking at the books. And suddenly he felt incredibly tempted to pull like an erotica novel off the shelf and read it on the airplane on the way home. And he suddenly heard this little kind of small voice in his head, go on, buy that book. No one will ever know. I don't know if you've ever had those moments. No one will ever find out. Go on, just treat yourself. And he remembers having this moment of battle where he had to battle temptation. But in his, in his spirit, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so he reached for a different magazine and pulled it off the shelf. At that very moment, there was a tap on his shoulder. And it was the young guy who'd been, ment- who he'd, who'd been shadowing him. And he'd brought books that he'd forgotten and left at the conference. And he said, you forgot your books. And so I thought I'd bring them over to you at the airport. And he handed them over. What are people learning from you by accident? In those moments that you just think are incidental or even private. But actually, you're bringing your influence. And so just as we land today, in this discipleship booklet, we talk about, are you a swamp, a desert, or a river? A swamp, a desert, or a river. A swamp is... You know, a place that has lots of rainfall, lots of input, but no output at all. And it's possible to become a little bit of a swampy Christian where we attend conferences and meetings and we receive lots and lots of great input, but actually we never give it away to another person. God didn't design you to live like that. It's also possible to be a a bit like a desert where you just feel parched, you're just dry as a bone. And actually, you need someone to help you. You need someone to help you grow and develop. But actually, the way God designed you is to be like a river. A river has plenty of inflow, but plenty of outflow. And that's what the healthy Christian life looks like. That's what it looks like. It looks like I receive every good thing that God pours into my life, but then I also multiply it by giving it away. So I wonder, my challenge to you today is, will you be a giver, not just a spectator?